0: Welcome to Rotten Mango, episode number five, I believe. Maybe number six, I don't freaking know. I'm your host, Stephanie, professional-ass-bits Sue, and we are here with my fiance. And today's case is going to be highly requested, and it's going to be one that just, I mean, I've been looking at it for the past couple days. I've been doing this research for the past week now, and every single day that I re-look at my notes, I just don't understand what's going on. I can't wrap my head around the details of this case. I can't wrap my head around the psychology behind this serial killer i mean today we are talking about none other than one of america's most prolific serial killers by the name of john wayne gacy Now, because every serial killer needs to have a cool name, apparently, according to the big media, according to all the news, his nickname was the Killer Clown. Now, I don't know if this is where America's fear, including my own fear of clowns, comes from or if this just kind of played a role into it. But he was a fucking creepy clown. Mm. So he went by the name of Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown
1: is he actually a clown he dressed up like a clown yeah he dresses
0: up like a clown he would perform at children's hospitals and charity events and Mm -hmm. fundraisers he would go to schools and he would literally perform and this actually becomes pivotal in all of the shit that he does because in his murders he will actually perform magic tricks on his victims
1: like actual magic trick
0: well we'll where he's
1: just like here your head is gone
0: Oh my God! You're a serial killer. That's really (laughs) creepy, honey. What is wrong with you? And I call him America's one of the most America's one of the most America's most prolific serial killer because he is actually one of the most individual murder charges pinned onto someone. Not pinned, but you get it. He was convicted of the most murder charges that an individual in the United States has ever been convicted of. So. typically with serial killers Mm -hmm. they can have you know murder victims up to the numbers of you know some of them in the 80s by estimates and they will only get convicted of maybe like five of them because you need to find Mm -hmm. a body you need to find direct evidence you need to have all of these things right you can't just have the serial killer sitting there and be like oh yeah i killed them all right yeah but it was very interesting in this case because he has 33 individual murder convictions Uh uh-huh and a lot of it had to do with the fact that they found 28 bodies on his property. Huh. Okay. 28.
1: Wow, he seems uh not very smart. Yeah. No.
0: Um, it's very interesting Some parts of this I'll look at him And be like This dude is smart And then some parts of it I'm like This dude is dumb as fuck So this is John Wayne Gacy Now people call him The killer clown But I'm just gonna call him Little bitch daddy issues On some clown shit Because that's essentially What his life is He just had massive Daddy issues He was a mama's boy With daddy issues And I just I can't wrap my head around it So with all serial killer cases I like to start From the beginning I feel like with murder cases, maybe even double homicide or stuff like this, I feel like I could just drop you in the middle of the crime. Just get into the nitty-ditty, nitty-ditty, <laughs> nitty-gritty, <laughs> and it all starts in Chicago, Illinois. Now, the dad was an auto repair machinist. He was also a World War veteran, and he definitely was what I would consider like your very stereotypical typical patriarch. He believed in being a man's man. it is not cool to be a feminine man it is not cool to be a weak man you shouldn't cry as a man like he was just into all of that like he didn't care about every dude should have their own personality he was like no a dude should be a dude Mm -hmm. and he would really take that out on john wayne gacy later and i'm just gonna call him john for the rest of this video right Mm-hmm. And the mom, she was a stay-at-home mom. Now, it's definitely apparent that the mom was taking the back seat. She was definitely not in control of the house. She mm-hmm. was also the more loved parents. So she had three children. They had a daughter by the name of Joanne. And then they had John Wayne Gacy. And then they had another daughter by the name of Karen. Now, John Wayne Gacy has always been really close to his sisters and his mom. Now, this is what's very interesting about his that's kind of sets him apart from other serial killers is that from other serial killers, from what I've researched, is that typically their parent or their siblings or their family will either turn a blind eye to the abuse that they're suffering or will you know kind of partake in it in some cases Mm -hmm. and all of that. But no, John had a pretty good relationship with his sisters and his mom. Mm -hmm. Now, his dad, on the other hand, He was difficult. He was an alcoholic. I mean, raging alcoholic. He would come home, go into the basement and drink before dinner. Mm -hmm. And everyone would sit around the dining table just waiting in fear, just waiting in silence to like, is he going to come up and yell at us for literally no reason? You know, what's going to happen? And he was abusive, not only to John, but to his two other kids and to his wife. But John was always his least favorable. John was kind of just like that kid that he did... wanted nothing to do with and a lot of it had to do with the fact that john was not really a man's man john had a bit of a heart condition growing up when he was younger and so he was chronically overrate just for the rest of his life it's a problem that he had to struggle with he was not allowed to partake in sports he also didn't really enjoy doing these sporty things he didn't enjoy going to like watch baseball with his dad. He actually really liked cooking and gardening, and he would do that with his sisters and his mom. And instead of embracing that, his dad would just beat him up for it.
1: What?
0: It was to the point where he would have friends over, and in front of all of his friends at such a young age, his dad would be like, you're dumb and stupid. Your sisters are manlier than you. Your sisters are more capable than you in front of all of his friends. Huh. And so the earliest memory that John Wayne Gacy claims that he had is that when he was around four years old, he saw a bunch of tools laying around on a table and he was like, you know, this looks fun. I'm going to play with these. So he starts playing with them and he rearranged them a little bit. He didn't drop them. He didn't break them. Mm-hmm. Nothing. He just kind of rearranged the placement on the table. And yeah. his dad came in and beat him with a leather belt.
1: Like what kind of tool? Just like little screwdrivers and stuff.
0: Yeah. Nothing too serious.
1: So the dad really disliked this kid for whatever reason.
0: And even one of the sisters was interviewed, Karen, the younger sister, and she said that it almost seemed like dad wanted to beat him. Like there was nothing he could say or do that was right in dad's eyes. And so sometimes he would even hit him on the head with a stick. And one time he was unconscious from that.
1: So he's like the scapegoat.
0: Yeah. And at six years old, he ended up stealing this toy truck from his neighborhood store. Mm -hmm. And he tells his mom about this toy truck. And the mom is like, okay, you're going to bring it back to the store and tell them that you're so fucking sorry. And so he says, okay, I'm going to do that. And then for some reason, the mom ends up telling the dad and the dad beats him with a belt. And at this point, the mom just felt like the punishment was too much. This is too much. Okay. So she steps in front of him and is like, don't beat my little baby. Yeah. And the dad's like, see, this is what I'm talking about. You're such a little mama's bitch. Like, you're a sissy. Like, you're probably going to grow up to be queer. Those were his words, not mine.
1: Like, feminine? Is that what it means?
0: I mean, I think he was intending in more of, like, he's going to grow up to be gay. Uh, Which does kind of play a role in John's life.
1: uh Is John gay? or?
0: He claims that he's bisexual. Okay. But it does seem that he was more gay than bisexual but i i I don't know so it's it gets very interesting because he says something to his wife that makes a lot of people feel like he was not bisexual like Mm -hmm. no one's gonna be like oh no like i'm definitely not saying hey you don't know your sexuality i know it better that's not what i'm saying but there is something in this story that makes you think That's a little weird. Okay. Now, early on in his life, he's not even 10 years old yet. And his dad gets a phone call and he picks up the phone and he's like, what's going on? And they're like, Mm -hmm. "Okay, listen, I know this is going to be really hard to hear. But we saw your son, John Wayne Gacy, and another Mm -hmm. boy sexually fondling a young little girl. I mean, they were also young at the time. They were under 10 years old. And so this was kind of alarming. This is like the first thing that I read that I was like, ooh, this is where the childhood starts to get increasingly alarming. Because, you know. I've read a lot of childhood analysis of serial killers. I'm definitely not an expert, but I am definitely fascinated and it's something that I love to read about. And what's interesting is that his abuse compared to all of the others doesn't Uh seem as intense Mm -hmm. so this is like kind of like the first part where i'm like oh shit some shit's going down right now because even with the leather belt even with all of these things it's not something that seems so in common with a lot of other serial killers children's you know yeah childhoods and so i'm like okay this is really weird and so the dad obviously beats him up some more and then one day john wayne gacy gets molested by a family friend a male older male who definitely is a pedophile because I believe he was in his early teens at the time. And he would take John into his truck and then he would start fondling him. And because of how his life had been set up and because of the relationship that he already had with his dad thus far, he felt like if he told his dad anything, his dad just would not believe him or they would say, you know, it's your fault. Why did you get in the truck? Why did you even say you would do this? Why did you A, B, C and D? He just did not trust his dad. And this was his dad's friend. So obviously, John did not feel comfortable with telling either of his parents. And I think this is where a lot of the problems started stemming. I don't know if this was repeated abuse by mm-hmm. this one man, but it definitely seems to play a very big role in his life. And in high school, he started having even more issues. So in high school, he had a lot of hospital trips. Now, this kind of reminds me of the Unabomber, right? Not entirely so, but very, very similar. So he has this heart condition. He's told to avoid all sports at school. He starts getting very, very... um. Heavier, He starts getting overweight clinically, right? Mm-hmm. And his dad did not like it. He, again, he just wanted some like dude's dude. Like he wanted like an army man. He wanted a veteran. He wanted someone who looked like a man. Mm-hmm. And John did not in his eyes. And he started having these seizures. And then he would start blacking out. And then he had a burst appendix. And between the age of 14 and 18 years old, collectively, he had spent almost a year in the hospital. So his grades start slipping. So his dad's like, you're not even a dude. Like you can't even play sport. You can't even do this. I mean, his dad was super toxic and abusive. This is disgusting. I feel like I I don't want to sympathize too much with him because people get mad at me. But think about it right now. This serial killer is not a serial killer yet. He's just 14. Like, yes, we can be mad at the dad. The dad is the issue right now in terms of this story. And so he spends a year in the hospital. His grades are declining. His dad is like, you can't even fucking play sports. And now you're getting C's. Like, you're literally useless. You're a waste of space. I am so disappointed to have a son like you. You're not even a son. Like, he would just say some of the craziest shit. And he would be laying in the hospital bed. And the doctors knew that this boy, this 14-year-old boy, had just suffered a seizure. And his dad would look at the hospital staff, look at him in the eye and go, I know you're just faking this for sympathy and attention and you need to stop.
1: Wow.
0: And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) what are you talking about? He was never formally diagnosed with anything, though. And I think that's what kind of triggered his dad even more. So everybody else that knew John, his friends, his family friends, his, you know, his other mom. Well, his mom, his other parent, I meant his Mm -hmm. sister's. The hospital staff, they knew that something was wrong with John, but it was never formally diagnosed because they couldn't pinpoint it.
1: So he's just keep getting sick, but nobody knows why?
0: Yeah, and because there was no formal diagnosis, his dad was like, you're faking it.
1: Why couldn't they find out what's wrong with him?
0: I don't know. Yeah, and it kind of stops later on, which is interesting. Okay. So when he's around 13 years old, Karen, his younger sister, goes into his room. And she knew that she wasn't allowed into his room, but the younger sister was obsessed with John. She just felt like John was like this big older brother that she loved so much and just kind of wanted to snoop around. I mean, she's young too. She's like, why can't I come into your room? And so she ends up going into his room and inside of his closet, he had this brown paper bag. Uh And inside of it were silk panties. Now, she's kind of confused by this. So she immediately tells her parents, because this feels off. This feels wrong. Okay. I mean, John's 13 at the time. This is very, very weird. This is not something that's normal. And John kept denying it. And he was like, I don't know. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I don't know how it got there. Like, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. And Karen went to her mom one day. And she was like, Mom, like, what's going on? Like, why is he in trouble? Why, why was that in his room? Yeah. And I think his mom couldn't lie to the daughter because She's the one that found it. You know, it's one thing if it's like, oh, honey, don't worry. It's something about school that they're fighting about. But it's like she knew why they were yelling at him. Yeah. And the mom said, John has a little bit of a fetish. You know, the one day when he was younger, I I found a brown paper bag too, sweetie. And it had my panties in there. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, it's just... Something is a little wrong, but we're going to figure it out. And she was like, okay, well, let's figure it out. Now, John will later tell a a best friend by the name of Barry. And he would always say things to Barry like, do you ever wonder what I would look like if I dressed up as a woman? So it's not a thousand percent confirmed, but it seems like John at this point, already around 13 years old, is having a lot of just confusing... Questions about his own sexuality.
1: So he's actually wearing those. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. So
0: he just doesn't really know, right? He doesn't Mm -hmm. know if. This is a feeling that he has if he wants to identify as a woman or if he just likes men, if he likes women. He's just mm-hmm. having a lot of questions about his sexuality. Yeah. And so this progresses for the next couple of years. And at 17 years old, some real crazy shit starts happening. At 17 years old, he ends up getting a car. Now, his dad said that he would support his car. He would do like the down payment and everything, but he would have to pay for the car on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And he had like this side hustle. He was going to a job after school. And one day he got fired from his job and it ended up being like this huge fight with his dad because his dad's like, how are you going to pay the monthly payments now, bitch? I'm taking away the car. He would take away the car keys. He even replaced one of the car parts so that he couldn't drive it. And John said that this was one of the most devastating things for him. Because when you're 17, I mean, this is fucking devastating. And so when his dad immediately replaced that car part and the car was good to run again, he ends up stealing the key and driving from Chicago, Illinois, all the way to Las Vegas, Nevada.
1: Wow.
0: And his parents end up getting a private investigator because he wasn't contacting them. And they find out that he drove all the way to Las Vegas, Nevada. And they found this out because he was actually working somewhere. He was working at a mortuary with dead bodies.
1: Wow.
0: Now, he was a mortuary attendant. And because he didn't have a place to stay in Las Vegas, Nevada, he ended up sleeping in a cot in the embalming room. Now, the embalming room is a very scary room. If you guys don't know what embalming is, is when when you have like an open casket funeral, they have to do a lot of processes to your body to make sure that when you're being publicly shown to your loved ones who are already grieving you, that you don't just like your eyes eyelids don't pop open, your hand doesn't move. You're not like leaking anything, any fluids, any gases, because that's very normal of the decomposition process. And so they embalm you, which is a chemical process to kind of slow all of that down so that you can have the funeral that you want. And he would sleep in there. So I'm sure that that is also very, very traumatizing.
1: He sleep in the room with a bunch of dead people. Yeah. That's crazy.
0: And he would watch bodies get cremated on a daily basis. And now he did one thing that was really creepy. One night, he just felt really lonely.
1: Oh, no.
0: And he's looking around. And like I said, John has always been someone that was really questioning and confused about his sexuality. and. A lot of it, I think, personally, has to do with his dad. I think if they lived in an environment where they were embraceful and they said, hey, you know, it's okay if you're questioning your sexuality. Let's figure it out, you know? It'd be a different story. Maybe we wouldn't be talking about a serial killer today. Yeah. But he was lonely Mm -hmm. and he's looking around and he's alone. Mm -hmm. And he sees this coffin of a deceased, teenaged male. Now, teenage, keep that in mind. This is going to be pertinent to the story. Even though John is a teenager at this point, just keep in mind, most of his victims were young teenagers or young male adults. So I'm talking like 15 to 19, where most of his victims ages. And so he opens up the coffin, and he goes inside. And he lays with the deceased body. And he embraces the body. And then he starts caressing the body. And then he went into complete shock. He didn't realize what he just did. He started freaking out. He didn't realize. I think it just kind of settled into him that you just caressed a dead body. And so immediately that night, he quits the morgue. And he calls his parents and he begs if he can go back home to Chicago. And his dad finally agrees. Okay, fine. You can come back and live with us. So he makes the trip back from Las Vegas, Nevada all the way to Chicago, Illinois. And when he gets back to Chicago, now there was a point in time where everyone thought, okay, things are going to turn around for John. Things are going to get so much better at this point. He went to Northwestern Business School. He graduated. He becomes a shoe store manager. And he starts doing really well at this shoe store. I mean, he met a co-worker by the name of Marlon Myers, right? Mm-hmm. And they start dating. And even while they're dating, he starts joining all of these groups. And he was really big on community. He was part of the Democratic Party meaning he would go to like these later on he's going to do a lot more work he even ends up meeting like the first lady at the time it gets really wild and so he ends up joining the jc's which stands for the united states junior chamber and it's for people that are 18 to 40 years old and it's a leadership training organization so pretty much you go there imagine like a boy scouts but for the real world and for a lot older now
1: yeah okay that's
0: kind of the vibe so like these older men will join and they'll teach these younger men like how to start your own business et cetera, et cetera. you know that Tony Robbins shit and he was focusing on business development management skills community service and he started joining this local JC committee while he was dating Marilyn now he loved it he fucking worked tirelessly now what's interesting about John Wayne Gacy from other serial killers is that the one positive thing I can say about him is he had a insane work ethic i mean he worked non-stop all day every day to the point where you're like how does he have so many hours in the day to do this but also have his like just a secret life of being a serial killer like it doesn't make sense yeah. and so he's working tirelessly he's fundraising for the jc's he's recruiting for the jc's and he has his i don't want to say it's his first but one of his more after adulthood first experiment experiences with a male sexually so there's a colleague at the JCS, and he invited him over and they ended up started drinking on the couch and he ended up performing oral sex on John Wayne Gacy. This is all the while that he is dating Marlon. And mm-hmm. within six months, he ends up proposing and marrying Marlon now marlon's family was a little bit well off and marlon's dad was like listen i don't want you guys to be married and working in some shoe store like Mm -hmm. that is not a future that's not something that you guys should be doing so he said this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna buy three kfcs in iowa three kfc franchises in waterloo iowa and i want you guys to move to iowa okay and I'm going to pay you guys every single year to manage all three franchises. You don't have to be there every day, but you just have to manage each store and make sure their managers doing their job, make sure all the employees are doing their job. So just the base salary that this couple was going to get after getting a free house too in Iowa was yeah. $115,000 a year. That's calculated with inflation. And they also said that you're going to get a share of the profits earned by the restaurants that you manage. So whatever that percentage is. I mean, he was killing it. He was making a shit ton of money. He went from being a high school dropout to going to business school to a shoe store manager. And now he's making so much money. And so he moves with Marlon to Iowa from Chicago and he starts doing some weird shit. Okay. He starts turning his basement into a club. He called it a club. I don't know how clubby a basement can get, but he called it a club. okay? Okay. And he would invite his employees over to drink and to play pool
1: and some other stuff
0: and some other stuff. Now his employees, when you think about restaurants like KFC, I mean, you're talking about a lot of like high schoolers. You're talking about people who are like, Hey, Uh, maybe I'm in school right now and maybe I want a job. But like, Hey, it's my summer off from college. He would invite all of these young people over and he would underage drink, like provide drinks for these underage kids and they would play pool together. And John employed both sexes. So he was not discriminating in the workplace per se, but he was sexually harassing and assaulting in the workplace. So that's so much worse. And he would really just interact with the teen boys that were his employees
1: so he already took advantage of those boys at that point
0: so at this point he'll start coming being like oh come over to my basement like what's well, gonna be a club and yeah. then they'd come and they're like oh my god you're like the coolest boss ever i can't believe you're letting me drink like you're so fucking cool john and then he would try to make these sexual advances on these young boys and how old oh, was
1: he like 20s 30s?
0: yeah like 20 30s okay. yeah And if they said no, he would say, take a joke. Mm. (laughs) I'm married. Like, you're so dumb. And Mm. sometimes he would say, good. Like, you really don't like stuff like this, huh? Yeah, me too. I I don't like homosexuals. Like, he would be like, I was testing your morals. Because Mm -hmm. some of the boys in Waterloo, Iowa would be like, that's nasty. Like, that's Mm -hmm. You know, and then say a derogatory phase and then he'd be like, yeah, I was just testing your morals because that's that's bad. Right. And so, again, he's just kind of weirdly suppressing his own sexuality. Right. Mm -hmm. And he ends up having a son and a daughter with Mm Marlon. And Marlon
1: has no idea.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem like she has any idea at all. And John says that this part of his life was almost like a perfect life. You know, Marlon was happy. The kids are happy. Gary, or Gacy, I was going to say Gary Gacy, sorry. John, John's dad even visited from Chicago to Iowa. And during that visit, he ended up apologizing for everything.
1: John's dad? John's dad sat
0: John down and said, you know, I was hard on you. I really was. Um, I'm sorry for beating you, and I'm sorry for all of that. Hmm. And you know what, John? I was wrong about you. I didn't think that you'd be successful, but look at you now. I didn't think that you'd get married to a successful woman with and have these beautiful kids, but look at you now.
1: Interesting.
0: And so he finally got his dad's approval.
1: And what did John think about that? Did he talk about he it? He was
0: so happy. And in Iowa, he was also continuing his work as a JC, right? He's a JC member mm-hmm. again. And while he's working these 12 to 14 hour shifts uh, between the three restaurants, between all of the bookkeeping, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he was highly regarded for his fundraising work at the local JC center, right? and some said you know what he brags a little bit but you know he does a lot of good work for our community so we really like him and he would even go to meetings and he would supply a bunch of fried chicken and something that i thought was very weird is that he would supply all of this fried chicken and then he would tell everyone to call him colonel like colonel sanders like the KFC man yeah i mean i just thought it was weird and then like people would be interviewed and they'd be like oh like (laughs) that's funny anyways john and he'd be like no i insist call me colonel and they'd be like what (laughs) that's (laughs) fucking weird like i don't know how i would react if someone was like no just call me princess and i'm like what stacy what's going i insist call me princess i'm like okay that's i don't know how i would react (laughs) jc The business community where they're growing all of these young men into being successful entrepreneurs. They had a little bit of a very special interest. While they were very, very invested in building leadership skills and building business communication skills, they were also really interested in swinging. They loved wife swapping. they loved prostitution, they loved pornography, and they loved drugs what yeah so a lot of that community in iowa was heavily invested in all of these things so they'd be like businessman by day fucking swingers party by night and it was just kind of wild yeah it sounds exactly like everything that happens in la (laughs) from what we've heard Not personally. What is going on? John was also really involved and he especially loved the prostitution aspect of it because he had a beautiful wife at home, but John was really interested in men. So he would get a lot of male prostitutes and that was just kind of his thing. And one time, this is where all the crime really starts to take up. I don't know if there was a lot of crime prior to this. I have a feeling there probably was. But this is when we have our first identifiable victim. By the name of Donald Voorhees. Now Donald Voorhees at the time. I'm just going to call him Donald. Was 15 years old. And he was the son of a fellow JC member. And he had lured Donald into his home. John did. And John said. You know Donald you're 15. But I have a feeling you're a man. So. If you come over to my house, I can definitely let you borrow some porn. I know that your dad doesn't let you keep it around the house, but I've got some crazy DVDs. Like, you've never seen shit like this before. So why don't you just come over? And now Donald, being a regular 15-year-old boy who is also very, you know, exploring their sexuality and like going into puberty was like i'd love to see some porn and so he gets into the car he lures him home they go into the basement and john starts giving donald a bunch of alcohol and so donald gets drunk and he's underage drinking and john ends up persuading donald to perform oral sex on john so this married man with a son with a daughter is having oral sex with an underage boy And he started to continue to do this in very similar manners with a lot of other victims. So he would say, Hey, listen, you want to see some real speed? You want to see some real nasty? Come over to my house and I'll show you some porn. And all of these kids would be like, Wow, you're like so loved in the community. You're like that cool uncle. Like, you're so cool, John. And they'd go over. And then they would get assaulted by this raging pedophile. And one of the very weird instances was that he actually encouraged, one of these minors to have sex with his wife his own wife and his wife ended up having sex with one of these minors it's i don't really know for sure if she knew what was going on if she knew that he was a minor if she knew that john had put him up to this i don't really know for certain right but he takes this information and he ends up blackmailing that teenager into now having oral sex with John because he's like, listen, I mean, you just had sex with my wife. I could totally tell your parents. I know your parents. I could totally tell the whole world. I could totally just like make this a big scene. I mean, yes, I encouraged you to have sex with my wife, but now you got to pay me. Wow. And so then he ended up getting oral sex from this blackmailed young boy. And he kept doing this. Over and over again. I don't know if uh, how many times his wife was part of this big master plan. I mean, I don't think that his wife was guilty of anything. I have a Mm -hmm. feeling she probably didn't know. I mean, otherwise I feel like they would have pressed charges on her, but Mm. I'm not entirely sure. And so he would say, you know, I just want to show you some porn. And when that wouldn't work, he's like, okay, I'm going to do something. Do you guys know the saying for research purposes? yeah like everyone says it as a joke like hey um how much do you love me for research purposes i mean that's a very bland one but you get it and so he would tell these youths these young boys you'd go up to them and he'd say hey i'm doing something for research and i need you to come over and it's just for research purposes it's like a scientific study. Anyways, I'm going to pay you $50 because it's for research and I'm getting paid. And so they'd be like, oh, yeah, $50? What the heck? I'm literally 15. Like $50 is a bajillion dollars in my head. I mean, $50 even to this day is a lot of dollars, right? And he's like, okay, come over. So they'd come over and he'd say, okay, so the research is that you are going to perform oral sex on me. And I'm going to see if I like it because... I'm not entirely sure. And it's for scientific purposes. For the interest of science, we are conducting homosexual experiments is what he would say. And a lot of kids would do it and they would get that $50 and they would not realize until much later that what they just experienced was not research, was not in the name of science, was actually pedophilia and molestation. Wow. Then he gets arrested for the first time. So he keeps doing this. Donald was his first identifiable victim, and then he had multiple others. He would convince all these other kids to come along, et cetera. Et cetera. And Donald ended up finally just caving in, and he told his dad. He was like, "Dad, listen, something crazy happened. You know that guy that from J C. that you guys are like kind of friends with? Yeah. Well, anyways, this is exactly what happened. And yeah. right when he told his dad, his dad was fucking enraged, as he should be. And so he immediately goes to the police, and he's like, "This son, I need you guys to press charges immediately. Like, I want this fucker in jail. He's killing." Like, like, he's going to kill people like he's creepy. Yeah. And another victim comes forward and he's like, oh, you know, the same thing happened to me. I was also underage and he tried to convince me. I didn't end up doing it, but he tried really hard to convince me. Mm-hmm. And so he was charged with oral sodomy.
1: How bad is that?
0: It's pretty bad. I mean, this is really bad.
1: So what did he get?
0: He, well, that, this is where it gets even yeah, worse. And then he attempted to assault a 16-year-old by the name of Edward Lynch, who was the one that came forward. And so he's just denying everything. He's like, listen, you guys have the wrong guy. What are you talking about? I'm John Wayne Gacy. You know, the KFC right there. I own that shit. You're the other KFC right there. I own that shit. Like, what are you talking about? I am a business owner. I'm involved in these community building activities. Like you're crazy. I have a wife and kids and he's just denying it. And so he's like, you know what? Fuck this shit. Police officers, give me a polygraph test. And so they're like, OK, they give him a polygraph test. And when they asked him if he assaulted Donald and Edward, it showed signs that he was nervous, even though he said no. But hmm. he did not perform well in that polygraph test.
1: He so, did not perform well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good for the police.
0: Yeah. And so he's like, no, nah, well, that, that's a stupid test anyways. I didn't assault them. And so then he starts going around telling all of his friends, listen, I am publicly denying this. This did not happen. And I honestly think it's fucked up. And everyone's like, what do you mean? Why is it fucked up? And he's like, well, you don't get it, do you? Donald's dad. Do you guys remember when I was nominated to be an Iowa JC president? He Mm -hmm. opposed my nomination really, really vocally. Mm -hmm. He didn't want me to be the president. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And now what? Now he's like, oh, I really don't want him to be the president. So how do I fuck him up? I'm going to send him to jail. Mm -hmm. So he's like, this was completely all political. He wants to be the president of the JCs in Iowa. And I was just... I had the most chance and so a lot of people of the jc community they rallied behind him and they were like we support you wow. yes colonel like they just supported him and they were like okay this is not the yeah that sounds crazy like he absolutely was trying to blackmail you and yet again that's just not how the way that the law works so even though all of these people believed him the law did not believe him and so he was indicted for a sodomy charge now it gets even crazier so he ends up getting a chick i was gonna say chick-fil-a i'm so sorry a kfc employee that works for him. He was an 18-year-old by the name of Russell, and he says, listen, Russell, I'm going to pay you a little over $2,000, and what you're going to do is you're going to go find that little Donald boy, uh-huh. and you're going to discourage him from testifying. And he's like, well, how do I, how do, I do that? Like, Should I just sit him down and have like, a long conversation with him? And he's like, no, I'm going to give you this pepper spray. You're going to go up to him, uh-huh. bring him to a secluded area, pepper spray the shit out of him, and then beat him up and say, if you testify, you're dead. And so he was like, okay, I'll do it. And he ended up doing it. And Donald ended up getting sprayed in the face. He ended up getting beat up. And as he escaped, he ran away to the police. And he immediately ID'd Russell. Russell wow so he's like i mean this is a guy this is what he looks like russell was arrested immediately and at first he was like what are you talking about i don't even have maize i don't even have pepper spray what and he's saying all these things and then finally the police are like listen you're 18 do you want to spend the rest of your life in jail blah 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 i mean he was never going to be spending the rest of his life in jail but you get it they were intimidating him and finally he was like okay fine John Wayne gacy paid me to do it yeah So, they arrest Gacy on top of the sodomy charge. Now, he's arrested for hiring and assaulting Donald. Okay. (laughs) So, after his arrest, he had a 17-day psychiatric evaluation because, I mean, (laughs) this was mind-boggling to people. Like, first of all, pedophilia. Like a sodomy charge on a 15-year-old when you're just not, I mean, just weird, just weird. And on top of that, who in their right mind hires someone to beat up a 15-year-old when you're in your 30s? Like none of that makes sense. Even 15-year-olds don't do that to Mm -hmm. other 15-year-olds. And so he had a 17-day physical or psychiatric evaluation with two different doctors Mm -hmm. and they diagnosed him. Yeah. With antisocial personality disorder. Which consist of a long term pattern of disregard and a complete violation of other people. They have typically a low moral code and little to no conscience they have super impulsive super aggressive behavior and they kind of have overlapping a lot of people get it confused they don't think that this in itself is a disorder they think that either it has to do with sociopathy or psychopathy but they just have a lot of the similar traits okay and so the doc even said like i don't think that he's likely to get better with treatment like it's unlikely it doesn't matter if we sit here and talk to him about his feelings for 20 fucking hours straight like i don't think that he's ever gonna get better he also cited on paper that his behavioral pattern is likely gonna bring him to a lot of repeated conflict with society which means he just does not function like a normal member of society
1: so at that point everybody knows that this dude's fucked up
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But he ends up going around just doing some wild shit for the rest of his life. They said, you know, but but he is mentally competent to stand trial. So he's not insane. He's just see, that's the thing. I feel like a lot of people use these things as excuses. So like. A lot of the times you'll see criminals do something and then you hear a doctor say, oh, well, they have been diagnosed. But that doesn't mean that they're insane. So that's why a lot of them end up standing trial. So you can literally have no moral code. You can have long term patterns of disregard and violating people and aggressive behavior. But you're still mentally competent.
1: Right. right. And so he
0: ends up standing trial. And in 1968, he pled guilty to one count of sodomy. He said that, you know, Donald was offering me services and Donald was like, "Listen, John, I will S your D." And I, <laughs> I was just curious, you know. Curiosity got the best of me. That was what he told the judge. And the judge did not fucking believe him. He was like, "You're a little lying asshole." I don't think so. And he sentenced him to ten years in prison. Okay. Yeah, don't be happy because it won't last long. Literally, it'll last eighteen I mean, months. Ten
1: years is that? That sounds short. No. It's.
0: It's short. But if you think that's short, it's gonna get a lot shorter. Okay. So the same day his wife files for divorce, she pretty much asks the judge for the house, the property, sole custody of the children, and on top of that, an alimony, and she's awarded all of it. So good for her. I really hope that she didn't partake in any of this. I really hope she didn't know this was going on. And John would never see his children ever again. He would never see his wife ever again. They would just care. I don't know. Okay. They were just completely gone out of his life. And so he has this jail time. He has 10 years. And people kind of characterized him as a model prisoner. He had, you know, months into his prison sentence, he was the head cook, which is a very, very highly regarded position. He started his own JC, like, inmate chapter. And at that time, enrollment was, like, 50 people. And he had upped it to 650 people. He had secured an increase in inmates' daily pay in that prison. So he's
1: doing a lot. Yeah,
0: and he started several projects to improve like conditions for inmates. I mean, at one point, this fucker was literally supervising the construction of a mini golf course in the recreation yard for these prisoners. And I'm just like, okay, it sounds like they're kind of living their life. I mean, typically, when we talk about prisons, we're talking about some harsh conditions. Like, normally, when I talk about prisons, I'm so mad at the person. But in this case, I'm like, that's a little weird. I don't know if they should be playing mini golf after, you know, sodomizing a 15-year-old. Yeah. But what the fork is going on? And so in Chris- on Christmas Day, that year that he's in prison, his uh-huh. dad ends up dying. And he falls to the floor once he finds out the news and he's just sobbing. And uh-huh. he's like, you can't even try to help him. You can't even try to comfort him. And what's even crazier is that they denied his supervised funeral attendance. Which, I don't really blame them. But, I don't know if this really had such a big effect on John. I do know that he has some insane daddy issues. So, I do think that this played somewhat of a role in his life. So, his dad ends up dying. Hmm. And, after 18 months of his 10-year sentence, Mm -hmm. he was released.
1: That's crazy. How does that make sense?
0: 18 months.
1: A year and a half instead of...
0: 10, yeah. What the fork? What? And he was released with a 12 month probation and he was released with two conditions. First of all, he was in an Iowa prison and -hmm. they said, you need to go back to Chicago. You need to live with your mom. Like you can't live by yourself. You can't live in Iowa. Like we want you to be like someone's going to be accountable for you, even though you're a full grown man because you're a criminal. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to live with your mom in Chicago. You're also going to have a 10 p.m. curfew. Okay. okay. And if you break either of these, you're finito. You're back in jail. And yeah. so he's like, okay, sounds good. He immediately moves to Chicago, moves in with his mom, and he secures a job as a cook in a restaurant. Uh-huh. Now, this is where assault number two takes place. Within a year... So during his probation, he gets charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy in Chicago. And the teenage boy told everyone, he said, listen, John lured me into his car at the bus terminal, the Greyhound bus terminal. This will become John's favorite place later on. And he drove me home and he attempted to force me into having sex with him. And I really didn't want to. OK, and the case, he was arrested, but the case got dismissed. Because what? the boy didn't show up. He didn't show up to court. Oh, my God. And a lot of people think it probably had to do with embarrassment, maybe shame, maybe guilt. Yeah. A lot of these things, the stigma of all of that. Yeah. And what's even crazier is that nobody fucking told Iowa. Nobody told his probation officer. Nobody told the Iowa justice system because this fucker was on probation. Yeah. Um, but nobody told Iowa. So he proceeded to just act like the model probation citizen and eight months later his parole ended wow so he just kind of got away with another assault and so then at this point he's like you know what i am gonna buy a house he's like mama i'm a mama's boy so mommy can you buy me a house and i know i'm being mean but i mean this i hate this guy and so his mom was like, OK, I will financially assist you in purchasing this home. So they find a house and it was on Summerdale Road. So I'm going to call it the Summerdale House. And this is pretty much where all the well-known murders were committed. This is where the 28 bodies were found. And inside of this community, after he moves into this house, this was in Cook County, Illinois. after he moves in he's really really active he's incredibly active with all of his neighbors he was well loved he was known to be very helpful he would even loan out all of his construction tools he would plow people's driveways for free when it was winter time and so he just was a likable neighbor people were like he's a bomb ass neighbor like cool and he would throw these summer parties on an annual basis hundreds of people would attend even local politicians John Wayne Gacy was a super active member of the democratic party i don't think that he had intentions to run for office or anything like that but he was definitely very political that's so weird that's what i'm saying i mean this guy is weird so like like
1: face face value he's super friendly super helpful you know gets around with everybody everybody likes him
0: and like what's weird is (laughs) Okay, the JC thing, I kind of understand. I'm like, maybe he wants to be around younger men and take on that mentor role so that he can have some sort of authority or power, right? Yeah. But then some parts of this I don't understand, like being so active politically, but also on top of that, I don't understand like his insane work ethic. Like he just loved working and he would continue to work and be like a very, I mean, by the book, a good businessman. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's weird. So so by the book, he's very, he's doing well. Yeah. successful successful well-loved
0: active in his community politically active i mean by the book he's pretty fucking gnarly he's cool
1: that's so strange
0: until you get into his criminal record then he's not so cool but and so he enters marriage number two once he moves into this house a woman by the narrow name of carol hoff now she was a divorcee she has two young daughters And she was a friend of Karen, which is John's younger sister. And they had kind of briefly dated when they were in high school. So Mm -hmm. this was just kind of going back into that comfort zone. And he just felt like he felt really comfortable around Carol. Mm -hmm. And so she immediately moves into the house with her two daughters. Mm -hmm. And a week before their freaking wedding, he gets arrested and charged with aggravated assault. So a young boy comes forward, a teenager, underage, and he says, listen, I was just walking and John came up to me and he sh- he flashed a sheriff's badge like a police badge and he made me get into his car which looked like a police car and he even outfitted his car weird like he would put those lights on top
1: Uh and
0: I saw his badge and so obviously I got scared I was like am I breaking the law sir like what's going on and I went into his car and he made me perform oral sex on him Oh my! he said that I had to unless I wanted to get arrested and I would never get out of prison. and so they arrested him obviously they arrested John because like you can't fake being a police officer and you also cannot assault an underage like this is gross and the charge charges were eventually again dropped because the teenager attempted to blackmail john Wow! which really i mean i I don't want to say good for the teenager at all because i don't know why the court dropped the charges but i understand the anger
1: right
0: i understand being a teenager and being like you know what fuck this like yeah, Like that's messed up. And so they drop those charges. So then he goes on to his next business venture. He gets married. He's living in this house with his wife and his two kids. And he starts PDM contractors. And PDM stands for painting, decorating, and maintenance. And at first it started with a lot of minor work. So he'd be like, let me enter your house and paint your walls. And then later it went into like the big boy scale of like remodels, landscaping, all of that. And mm-hmm. at one point he was bringing in 800000 a year this company but it still was not enough for John Wayne Gacy this is where I'm saying it's a little bit weird he was obsessed with working he was a workaholic so he got another job Uh he founded this company he's the CEO of this company he's running PDM but at the same time, he starts working for P.E. systems. Now, this is a firm in, based in Illinois, and they specialize in pharmacy remodels. So they'll go into drugstores and they'll be like, hey, this looks outdated. We'll fix it all up because pharmacies have like crazy regulations of how mm-hmm. certain things are placed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And so between these two jobs, he was a freaking workaholic. He traveled a lot. He just was obsessed with his work. So, again, this is just so weird. Now, PDM. <laughs> I can kind of see maybe why he started it yeah. because he would hire a lot of high school students and young boys because you don't necessarily hire a lot of young girls to mm-hmm. do all these hefty remodels. Yeah. And so he'd hire a bunch of them and he would constantly try to have sex with them. He would just proposition them. He would say, hey, in, if you guys give me sex, I will loan you my car. I'll give you a promotion. I'll give you more money. I'll give you financial assistance for whatever it is that you need. And one of them even reported to the police that John sat him down and was like propositioning sex. And then one day was like, you don't have guns, Right. A ton of guns, and you know how easy it would be to kill people? And so he's like, What?
1: What the heck,
0: dude? And then he finally gives in. And this murder is a very confusing murder. This is the first murder that John Wayne Gacy committed, and it is not like any other serial killer's first murder. It was not intentional, it just was weird. So there was a boy by the name of Timothy Jack McCoy and he was at the Greyhound bus station and he was traveling from Michigan to Omaha. So he was passing through Illinois or Chicago. And so John sees him and he's like, Hey, what are you doing? Like you just went around for a bus. And he's like, well, I am at a bus station (laughs) and he's like, well, how would I give you a ride? Let me give you a sightseeing tour of Chicago. And he was like, okay, I mean, you seem cool, whatever. And around this time again, hitchhiking was relatively normal, even for women. So, just keep that in mind. This was not as abnormal as it sounds right now. And so he's like, yeah, I mean, I guess, but I do have to go get, catch my bus. I mean, it's not for another like, long time, like a day, but I still have to catch my bus. So John's like, don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, yeah. And so he drives him around Chicago, gives him like this amazing sightseeing tour. And then he's like, you know what? It's still not time for your bus. Why wait out in the cold? Why don't you come to my house and I'll take care of you. And don't worry, I'll take you back in time so that you can catch your bus to Omaha. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, okay, I guess that sounds cool. And so John goes to sleep in his own bedroom. Timothy Mm -hmm. goes to sleep in a guest bed Mm -hmm. and John wakes up and he sees Timothy in his doorway holding a knife. And so John immediately stands up from his bed and he's like, what the fork? And Timothy was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he put up his hands almost in like the surrendering form, like putting his hands up in the air, like the police tell you to do. And as he was doing that, because he had a knife in his hand, he accidentally cut John a little bit on his wrist. And John gets upset by this. And so he wrestles the knife out of Timothy's hand and he starts just wrestling him. And finally, a fight ensues. And he was able to pin Timothy, this young boy, down onto the ground and continues to stab him multiple times in the chest. Now, Tim is dying. He is not immediately dead. When you're stabbed multiple times in the chest, it is not like a painless, immediate death. It's a prolonged death. And so he is, the way that he, John described it, was gurgling for air. And so he is laying in his bedroom floor, mm-hmm. dying. And John goes to wash off the blood from the knife. And he walks into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that Timothy had made them breakfast and he had walked into John's room to wake him up and he just like mindlessly forgot that there's a knife in his hand.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And just said, hey, and John got really just crazy defensive, I guess, and ended up murdering him. It was all a misunderstanding. Now, for a lot of people who might have a misunderstanding like this, maybe you did want to do something out of the goodness of your heart. You pick up someone, you bring them to your house, and then you see them in your doorway with a knife, and you end up murdering them. I don't think how that's possible because... I mean, there's just a lot of things that are weird with this story. But anyways, let's say you end up murdering them. You would think that you would call the police, explain the situation. It was self-defense, A, B, C, and D. This was like you had the wrong idea, A, B, C, and D. And then you would regret it for the rest of your life. And this would be this heavy, heavy guilt, shame, baggage that you would carry for the rest of your life, right? 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 No, because John said that this, when he was stabbing Timothy, he had never orgasmed like that before. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he said he had a mind-numbing orgasm while Timothy was grasping for air.
1: Holy fuck.
0: And this is, in quotes, what John said. That's when I realized death was the ultimate thrill.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And then almost immediately, he had his second murder. Um, <laughs> It was still an unidentified male who was strangled in his house. He placed him into the closet before burying him in a crawl space. So this house had a crawl space underneath it. So there was open air underneath Uh his house that you Uh could crawl around under. Yeah. And he dug a bunch of graves inside of his crawl space.
1: Wait, so is the wife home?
0: The wife would go frequently to visit her family out of town.
1: And he would perform?
0: Yeah. Wow. And so he he had this tendency to place these victims into their closet or under his bed before he would actually move them to the crawl space because he has to dig up the grave inside the crawl space, etc., cetera, etc. Yeah. And he said in his second murder, he learned a lot because he strangled this person and he put them in his closet before burying him. And it was kind of annoying because... He started having these bodily fluids that were leaking out of his mouth and his nose and it stained the carpet. And so now, now he's really good. He learned something from this, which is from now on, he always stuffs the victim's mouth with either a rag, clothing or underwear to prevent leakage because he doesn't want more stains on his Uh, carpet. Yeah, uh. that's what he says that he learned from murder number two.
1: Like, is he still assaulting these people before killing them or yeah. he just killing
0: them? he would assault them first
1: and then kill it yeah wow them kill them yeah
0: sorry he is not a native english speaker <laughs> sorry i just want to because people get mad sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah. and yes and now let's move on to more assaults i mean this guy is just so gross some shit goes down in florida so he's living in chicago illinois And he ends up buying a new property in Florida. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go check out my new property in Florida. And one of his employees who's young, I believe he was 19 at the time or something of that sort, was like, oh, like, that's so cool, Mr. Gacy. Like, you have a place in Florida? Like, I've never been to Florida. And he's like, you want to go to Florida? And so they're like, okay, yeah, that sounds cool. And so they go to Florida together. And inside of the hotel room, John ends up raping this employee. It was not persuading. It was not convincing. I mean, this was just very, very, it was rape. And I mean, not that none of the others were, but it just was, you get it. There was no like drinking involved. There didn't seem to be any persuasion involved. It was, it was rape. And so they end up coming back to Chicago. And this is the first time his wife sees something, which is, After he gets back to Chicago, Mm -hmm. the employee comes back with him. And the employee is acting like, you know, everything is going to be okay. Until the employee decided, you know what? Everything's not going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so he called Mr. John Wayne Gacy, told him to meet him in his backyard. So John goes out to his own backyard. Uh And the boy ends up coming with his friends and beating the shit out of John Wayne Gacy. Fucking him up. And so obviously he's got bruises and busted lips and black eyes everywhere. And he walks into the house and his wife is like, oh, my gosh, like, sweetie, what's wrong? And he's like, "Okay, so this dude, he gave me such poor quality work on the construction site and I refused to pay him because he did shit work. And then he ended up beating me up. And his wife was like, oh, my gosh, like, it's so hard to be a businessman.
1: That's it. That's what she saw.
0: Yeah, and it didn't wow. seem like that kid went to the police or anything like that. I think he just took justice into his own hands, which I this this case has a lot of a lot of things society is taking a big look at. Yeah. Which is I think it's still difficult, still insanely difficult for women to come out. Yeah. But I think it's even more difficult, even more so for young men or just men in general to come out on, you know, allegations like this. And so he just kind of took justice into his own hands and he did not report it to the police. But
1: John Wayne Gacy didn't go after the boy?
0: No. So he's kind of like very evil and very scary, but also a little bitch at the same time. It's very confusing. I see. Yeah. And so Anthony is the next victim. He's 15 years old. Oh, wow. John hires him. He ends up coming to his house and they drink two bottles of wine together and they watch a lot of porn. Heterosexual porn because Anthony is straight. Mm -hmm. And so John's like, oh, you gotta see this. And so he'll play this heterosexual porn. and, um, And then John was like, you know, let me just do something really cool. And he handcuffed Anthony. Now, Anthony... What John didn't know is a wrestling student. So he's a wrestler. Oh, so he ends up getting one of the handcuffs loose and he escapes the handcuffs john goes out of the room to grab something which i'm sure was not something good Uh and he comes back and anthony instead of running away this 15 year old decides to completely tackle this i mean john wayne gacy was considered obese medically speaking so he this 15 year old just tackles him to the ground and handcuffs john wayne gacy now how the turntables right And so he's like, what the fuck are you doing, old man? Like, why did you handcuff me? Like, what are your thoughts? Like, what are you trying to do? And yeah. at first, John Wayne Gacy's mad. He's like, I will freaking tell your parents you are never going to, like, I'm going to kill you, blah, 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 blah. And the dude's like, no, like I'm 15, you try to handcuff me, now you're handcuffed, so I really don't think that you have any power right now. And so then finally, John's like, You know what? You're right. Like, I'll just leave. Like, I'm just gonna go home. <laughs> and he's like, If you just let me go, like, it, it's, I promise I'll never come back. Like, he's just turning into a little bitch.
1: Wait, whose house are they in?
0: It what? was, oh, I'm sorry, it was Anthony's. Yeah, I see. So he's like, I just promise I'll never come back.
1: I'm surprised this guy, his crying went along for so long.
0: Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. It went on for so long that he even met the first lady of the United States of America. And this would become an international embarrassment to the great states of America. Yeah, and so that happens with Anthony. Anthony ends up letting him go, and then they don't really talk about it. Now the next murder happens by the name of John Bokovic. I think I'm saying his name right. His car was found in a parking lot with his jacket and his keys still in the ignition. And his parents are very confused about this. And days before John went missing, okay, days before the victim went missing, he had already approached John because he worked for John and he said listen john i work for you and you haven't paid me for my work like where you where's my back pay like mm-hmm. you owe me my money yeah. and so he had confronted john wayne gacy about it and then nothing happened john wayne gacy did not pay him and then suddenly he goes missing his car was left in a parking lot and so his parents called john wayne gacy and they're like hey listen like i know that you guys had probably a heated altercation like did you, Did something happen? Yeah. Like, we won't be mad. Like, did something happen? And John Wayne Gacy's like, no, what are you talking about? Of course not. I paid him and he went on his merry way. And I'd be more than happy to help you look for your son. I mean, I don't know where he could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And he was just kind of sweet talking to the parents. And the parents did not believe it. And so they called the police. And they called them over 100 times. Wow. John Bukovic's parents called over a hundred times, telling the police to particularly investigate John Wayne Gacy. Mm Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And John Wayne Gacy will later admit that he convinced young John to come to his house because he'll pay him and then raped, tortured, and then murdered him.
1: Wow. And then buried him underground.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he became a clown.
1: How did that come about?
0: So he, he ended up joining like this local moose club is also another community to help children and teens in need. So he becomes a local member of the Moose Club. And inside the Moose Club, there's another group of people, and they call themselves the Jolly Joker Club. And most of the people in the Jolly Joker Club are really cool dudes. Like, they just like to do this on the side. They like to go to birthday parties and like cheer people up. They like to go to children's hospitals and make them laugh. So Mm -hmm. they really, like, most of them do this for the sheer fact of they want to help people. And they like, you know, doing magic tricks. And just a dude without clown makeup on doing magic tricks wasn't as cool back in the day. So they were like, Let's make let's be clowns together. And so he met these people and he's like, you know what? I like to do that. I like to perform at fundraising events and parades and like children's hospitals. And so he became Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. He would even design his own costumes. He taught himself how to apply clown makeup. I mean, he was just a full clown.
1: And his motive was to get close to the kids.
0: See, it's weird. Yes and no. So he would use things that he would learn from being a clown for his victims, but he would never take victims from what seemed to be like these hospitals or these fundraising events usually. And so his first instance was with an 18-year-old that was hitchhiking. His name was David. And so he's hitchhiking on the side of the road and John Wayne Gacy opens his door and says, listen, I'll give you a little ride. And so he gets into the car and John's like, you know, why are you hitchhiking, my love? Like, what's going on? And so he's like, you know, I don't really have a job. And he's like, why don't I give you a job? I have a company. We do some construction work. I mean, it's not the easiest work in the world, but I mean, you're a young boy. You could do it. And so he's like, are you serious? Like, that'd be, a, that'd be amazing. And so he starts working for PDM. And mm-hmm. a month later, because he doesn't have a house, he ends up moving in with the Gacy's. And so then out comes Pogo the Clown. So he comes home from being Pogo the Clown one day at like a fundraising event. And he gets David drunk, this 18-year-old drunk. And he starts being like, you know, I want to show you a magic trick. And so he would put handcuffs on himself. John would put handcuffs on himself and would say, look. And then his handcuffs would fall off. And he'd be like, that's cool magic, right? Do you want me to teach you how to do it? And uh-huh. typically, they'd be like, that's pretty cool. Like, I want to learn. And so, he'd put the handcuffs on this boy. Uh-huh. And then he'd be like, okay, now this is what you do. And the boy would try to get out of it. And he couldn't get out of it. Uh-huh. And John would say, see, the key to this trick yeah, is to be the one with the key. And then he would try to assault them. Oh, now, in this God. situation, it didn't work. He told David that he was going to rape him. I don't know why. Like, he told him that but he did he ended up grabbing david by his handcuffs and like swinging him around the room and like saying i'm gonna rape you very strange but somehow david ended up getting free okay and he ended up trying again and then david ended up getting free and then finally after a couple months he moved out (laughs) so he
1: stayed there
0: yeah because he really didn't have any choices and he still would you know occasionally work for pdm sometimes for the next couple years Wow! But that seems to be the first reported case where he started using his clown antics to uh. kind of fit in with his crimes. And so let's talk about the politics behind this. He was an avid Democrat and he would even offer to clean party office headquarters for free. So if you had a Democratic office, like uh-huh. literally it's a you just do things for the party inside of that office. Mm-hmm. He would clean it for free with his contractors. And so he was really beloved be- amongst politicians amongst Democrats. He was, you know, kind of like that cool person. And he even met Rosalind Carter, Jimmy Carter's wife, the first lady of the United States at that point. And they took a picture together. And that picture would fucking haunt america for so long because that picture he was wearing an s pin if you don't know what an s pin is the secret service would give those out to people that cleared that was cleared and you don't get to meet the first lady unless you're cleared by the secret service because um that's the fucking first lady like it's not just like a meet and greet like you can't just show up and being like what's up miss carter like what's popping and so that pin in that picture would later just make a laughing stock out of the Secret Service internationally.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, and it was just a huge embarrassment for everyone.
1: So why was he there? Just
0: just for all of his good work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because of how sad and ridiculous this is. And then he ends up telling his wife he's bisexual. Finally, <laughs> he's like, listen, Carol... I really want to sing the song. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do sound? it. What song? Carol Baskin Ugh. killed her husband, whacked her. Sorry. Okay. So he ends up tearing, telling his wife, Carol, that he's bisexual. And on Mother's Day, they have sex. I think this is all sorts of forked up. Carol is a mother of two children.
1: Right. And they have sex.
0: And on Mother's Day, he tells her, this is going to be the last time you and I ever have sex, Carol. And she's just like, what? Uh-huh. And he's like, we're never doing it ever again. And she's like, what? Like, did I do something? Like, Uh what? Like, you just told me you're bisexual and now you don't want to have sex with me? Like, what's going on? Yeah. And so he's like, don't worry about it. We're just never having sex again And she's like This is weird Maybe it's a phase. Like maybe he'll get over it And so then later After this He would just start spending A lot of times Away from home He would say I'm working late I can't come home tonight He would spend a lot of his evenings away And then finally Carol was catching on To a lot of things She started seeing That teenage boys Were being brought into the house By way of the garage And she would look out her window And yet again Was another teenage boy And she thought This was strange She would find Tons of gay porn Laying around in their house Again Very strange She would find men's wallets and ids in their house why would he have that and so she confronts john and she's like why would you have these ids why would you have these wallets i mean it's one thing to be like you're bisexual i mean it doesn't matter if you're bisexual you're still cheating on me like it doesn't (laughs) matter i never agreed to an open marriage just because they're of the same sex like what do you mean right yeah she's like first of all you're cheating on me that's not okay i don't care what gender they are i don't care that's not okay second of all why do you have men's wallets and IDs in your house? Yeah. And John just said, that's none of your fucking business, Carol.
1: But they're still together.
0: So she divorced him. Okay, And she good. says, I'm done. But she couldn't really leave, so she stayed from October to February until the divorce was finalized. hmm <sighs> This wow. divorce was gonna prove to be very, very bad. For John. Because murders number four through 16 happened almost immediately after the divorce. One month after his murder, or after his divorce, he murdered his fourth victim, Daryl Sampson, who was also 18 and buried under the crawlspace, Five weeks after Daryl was Randall Reffitt, who was 15. He disappeared while walking home from school, and he was also buried in the crawl space. The same night that he murdered Randall Reffitt, he ended up getting Samuel, who was 14, who was also walking home. And he murdered him and buried him in the crawl space. I mean, the frequency of these kills are very, very strange for serial killings. It's just too frequent. Right. Especially so early on. So, serial killers have this very strange thing where they'll have their first murder and then a while goes by and then their second, a while goes by. And then, near the end, just before they're caught, is typically when you see rapid fire killings because mm-hmm. it just becomes like this crazy, insatiable addiction that they, you know, kind of have. Mm-hmm. Whereas for this one, it just was so many. I mean, they're just the frequency of this was alarming. And it's crazy how he got away with it, because typically with serial killers, you don't really get this frequency because of the craziness of the circumstances. Like you're going to get caught. Yeah. Like You're not that good. There's no way you can find victims like this, you know. Yeah. And then June through August alone, he had 10 murders. Michael, 17, William, 16, three unidentified 16 to 20-year-olds. James, 15, Rick, 17, Kenneth, teenager, wow. Michael, teenager, William, 19.
1: And this all local. Yeah. People who, wow.
0: And so now at this point, we're up to 16 bodies under his cross space. And so how did he do this? Because I feel like I'm listing a lot of victims, but we really need to understand the emotional trauma and everything that they went through to really kind of feel for these people. Otherwise, they're just names on a paper because I feel like it's in our human mind that we don't want to imagine these things, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's very important. His MO was that he would always go to the Greyhound bus station. That was his favorite place to pick up people. Or he would maybe pick up hitchhikers on the streets. Mm -hmm. Or there was this very beautiful park in Chicago that a lot of young boys would go to, and he would either take them by force... By gunpoint, he would either say, hey, I'm a police officer and you need to come with me with his fake sheriff's badge. He would either say, hey, I'm going to hire you to work for my company. You want to make a bajillion dollars? And these young boys would be like, really? Like, yeah, "Yeah, I do. Yeah, fuck yeah. Or he would use drugs, alcohol. And some of them he would say, hey, I'll give you $100 for a blowjob. And they would go because these young boys needed money.
1: He literally did everything.
0: Yeah. And the his favorite way is something that he dubbed the handcuff trick is exactly what I told you. He, was get, he would get them drunk. He would say, hey, do you want to see a magic trick? Which like those words now scare the shit out of me. Um, no, sir, I do not. And so he'd be like, hey, you want to see a magic trick? And then he would cuff his own hands and he'd have the key. Then he'd free himself and then be like, I'll teach you how to do it to yourself. Uh-huh. But then he would never let them free. Mm-hmm. And then he would rape them. And then he started getting a lot more torturous and he would burn them with cigars. He would get onto their back while they're walking on all fours and make them pretend to be horses. Well, he would... Th- yeah, I mean, it's so He's weird. just getting insane mm-hmm. during that time. He would sodomize them, which means through the rectum, with dildos, big dildos, and like weird things like prescription bottles. And then he started really being into drowning. He would fill up his bathtub with water and he would grab these boys and he would dunk their heads into water and then he would revive them and then he would keep doing it and then he'd rape them and then he'd drown them and then he'd rape them and then drown them. I mean, these were not easy deaths. I feel like because of the frequency of the victims, we might be Trying to convince ourselves, Like maybe they died painlessly Like maybe it wasn't as bad But no, they were very torturous deaths And they used He would use a rope to suffocate them And this takes a long time Suffocating someone is not an easy process. I've talked about it before. It's not easy. I don't know from personal experience, but from all the medical things that I've read, it's not a short oopsie-doopsie, saw this in a movie, five seconds, and we're done. It's a long process. And so sometimes he would read them the Bible as he's doing this, which, again, is so strange. And a lot of psychologists try to analyze this because, I mean, there's no evidence that he was super religious. He definitely was Very suppressed in his sexuality, and to read the Bible is a little strange because typically the Bible is back then less now known for being against homosexuality. So it's just very strange. So sometimes he would read them Bible verses, twenty three Psalms in particular, and that one I googled it. It said that like, "Lord is your shepherd," like, "Don't be afraid of death" or something through the valley of the I don't know It's very dark. It's not like a fun Bible verse for sure. And so he would read these. And he said a lot of the times these victims would convulse for an hour or two. Like they would die. They would lay there dying for an hour or two. It was not fast. It was not easy for these victims.
1: Did he enjoy that?
0: Yeah. And he would put them under his bed before he would bury them. So he would sleep on top of these victims.
1: And he'd get off on that too.
0: Yeah. And he said there were a lot of times where like there would be someone dying in his bedroom and he would just like go in the other room and like work. He would have business calls. He would answer emails. I mean, what the fuck? So he
1: lived two lives. He has a somewhat of a regular life in front of people.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that's what's interesting. I don't understand how that works. So I wouldn't, I would say that you are kind of a workaholic. I would put you more so in that category as a workaholic. I think if I didn't say anything, you'd probably spend all day working.
1: Yeah, because, you know.
0: So I can't imagine you having something also, like, so intense on the side. It just doesn't make sense. It's so weird. Typically, workaholics are known for literally only being obsessed with work. But he had this side of him where he was a workaholic, but at the same time, like, he did all of this. I don't... It's just strange. And so then 1977 rolls around. It's a new year. And in this year, he will have murders from his 16th murder to his 21st murder in the year of 1977. January, he had a 19-year-old employee by the name of John, and he lured him in by the idea of buying his car. So John had this car, and he was like, you know what? I'll buy your car from you. And he was like, really? I've been looking to sell my car. And so he's like, yeah, 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 that's good, that's good. Like, just... Come on over and I'll sell you the car or I'll tell, I'll take the car from you. Mm -hmm. I'll pay you for the car. He ends up murdering him and keeping the car.
1: How is all all these happening and no police caught on to this?
0: Yeah. And then he'll have another identified victim, another boy by the name of John, another identified victim and Matthew who's 19 years old and he would murder all of them. And then he was arrested. Okay. And he was arrested for stealing gasoline. Like, again, this is where I'm very confused. The dude's smart. The dude is evil. The dude is conniving and torturous and gross. And I hate him. But at the same time, he's dumb. It's weird. And so he stole gasoline from a gas station. And he was arrested. And he did this while he was driving John's car. The one that he murdered. The 19-year-old that he murdered. And when they questioned him, he said, Oh, John sold it to me, like, in February. And they're like, Uh he did and he's like yeah he said that he's skipping town he didn't want to be here anymore and so he needed money so i paid for this car they checked the vin number it is attached to john and they did not investigate further what the fuck and so by the end of 1977 there was another six young men added to his crawl space they were aged 16 to 21 notably one of them was the son of a police sergeant and another one was actually a u.s marine
1: oh my god
0: so he i mean it's very strange you don't really see a lot of serial killers who don't really that are that ballsy yeah typically with serial killers who have such a high number of victims go for this is so messed up also i mean i'm This is just statistically speaking. I'm not saying this is okay in any way. Like I've talked about how much I think this is annoying and just infuriating. They go for a lot of sex workers. They go for workers that are in the, quote, lower risk category of them getting caught.
1: Yeah. Those are more like easier targets, right? Yeah.
0: And so this is just strange that he got away with just killing a bunch of young boys who have loving, caring parents that are like, where the fuck is my son? Yeah. And then he does something weird. Uh Uh-huh. He meets a guy by the name of Robert Donnelly, who's 19 years old. And he ends up getting him into his car by gunpoint from the Chicago bus stop. And he rapes him. He tortures him. He repeatedly dunks his head into the bathtub until he passes out. Uh And so up until this point, everything seems like his normal MO. This is what he does to all of his victims that he kills. And he would say things like, aren't we playing fun games tonight to Robert Donnelly? And Robert would be like, this is freaking scary. Like, please just kill me. Like, please just let this end. I mean, he was getting drowned and then revived, drowned and revived and then raped and tortured. I mean, he had just, he had just a lot of trauma to his body and mentally and emotionally. And he was begging to be killed. And he said, I'm getting around to it. And so he was like, okay, like, I'm just going to get tortured for, I don't know how much longer. And then I'm finally going to get killed. And then, and then he put him into his car and John Wayne Gacy drove Robert back to where Robert worked and just released him. What? And before he got out of the car, he looked at Robert and said, if you complain to the police, just know that they won't fucking believe a word you say. And he drove away. And Robert was like, oh yeah bet and he ran to the police station and he filed a police statement and he's like i was literally just tortured assaulted almost murdered like i mean what the fuck right yeah and so then the police were like okay well let's go get him and they get john wayne gacy into the police station and john's like yeah i know him well how do you how do you know him uh well he's he's kind of like my sex slave what yeah so i agreed to pay him to be my sex slave. And he like wanted me to do these crazy things. Like drown him and shit. He's a weird dude. Um, and so I did it. And I think that he reported me to the police. Because I didn't pay him. I just thought I could be slick. I thought I could just use his services. And then not pay him. I guess that was really bad huh. I just I don't know. I guess he was charging a lot. I just didn't pay him. I mean it was consensual. But yeah. I didn't pay him
1: what okay
0: and so then the police believed him and they did not file any charges why i don't know i mean john was very charismatic oh wow and then he had another change in his mo which is very strange for serial killers but i think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was running out of space in his cross space that is how many victims were there And so he changes his M.O. once again and he meets a guy by the name of Jeffrey and he's 26 years old and he chloroforms Jeffrey this time, which is like a drug that just knocks you out, usually in the form of a rag. That's why a lot of, you know, people are very scared when they see some dude with like a glove on walking up to them with like a napkin or a rag in their hand. They're like, oh, fuck you. Fuck out of here. Right. And so he chloroforms Jeffrey, drives him to his house, tortures him, rapes him. And then he just drives him back to Lincoln Park and then he just dumps him. I mean, he's unconscious, but he's very well alive and he just dumps him. And so Jeffrey wakes up and this was not like, I know it sounds like, woo, Jeffrey's alive, but he has permanent damage to his liver to this day from the chloroform. He has severe chest and face burns from the cigars. He has rectal bleeding. He immediately staggers somehow to his girlfriend's apartment. I mean, he was strong like survivor strong. And he goes to the police station and he informs them of everything. And they're Uh like, well, we don't know who that is. Like, who are you talking about? And he's like, well, I don't remember. I was literally chloroformed. Like, I don't fucking remember. And this kind of is almost reminiscent of the toy box killer where he would let them go after all of these drugs because Mm. they just don't remember. So he's like, well, I I don't remember. And the police are like, then we don't have a crime. If we don't have a criminal, like we can take your statement, But we don't really know how to help you.
1: Isn't your job to find out? Yeah. oh my gosh and
0: so then he's like all right fuck this shit so him and his friends get together uh-huh. and he's like okay guys this is what i know i remember seeing this car it was black and this is what it looked like this is the make and model and for some reason i feel like i was on this highway and i got off this specific exit like i don't know if it's true i just remember that like am mm-hmm. i right i don't know and so the friends were like get in the car like we're just gonna sit by that exit on that highway uh-huh. and we're gonna see if that car ever passes
1: what and so
0: they get into the car and they wait there for days and days and days and finally they see the same car and they follow it they follow it all the way back to the summerdale house where john wayne gacy is that's
1: crazy
0: and so then finally the police believe him they issue an arrest warrant and they arrest john wayne gacy is that it nope <laughs> he was arrested um for assault he was let out on bail what the fork and in 1978, like I said, he didn't have enough crawl space. He didn't have enough place to murder these victims and to bury their bodies. And it's really intense. So that's I think that's why he was kind of experimenting, per se, with these two victims to try to see if they, he could release them and try to use the fear tactic. That didn't work. He ended up going to the police anyway. And so then he was like, let's use the drug tactic. That didn't work. And so he's like, I need to figure something else out. OK, this is not working. And so he decided to just go off the interstate 55 bridge and there's a river there and he would just toss victims off the bridge into the river and so in 1978 his entire crawl space is freaking full of victims he decides to throw five bodies off the bridge
1: this man is so ballsy and insane
0: yeah and only four of them would be found later on then we have a 15 year old boy by the name of robert Now, Robert would be the undoing of John Wayne Gacy. Robert was 15 years old, and he was an employee at a pharmacy. And John was there to visit this pharmacy to talk about a potential remodel. So he's just trying to convince the store owner, like, let me just, uh, you know, pimp out your pharmacy. It's going to be so much better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And he sees this 15-year-old Robert, and he's intrigued. So he goes up to Robert and he says, you know, how much are you making at this pharmacy? And he's like, well, I'm making like this much an hour. And he's like, you know, I can pay you double that if you come work for me.
1: Uh And he's
0: like, double, like double my pay. Like, what am I, what am I doing? And he's like, well, you'd be doing some like contracting work. It'd be like painting, you know, nothing like too crazy. And at 15 years old, you're like double my pay. And so he's like, that's insane. And the store was closing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, Robert's mom came to pick him up because Robert's 15 and she was really excited to pick him up because it was her 46th birthday and she was ready to get home. They already had like this crazy dinner celebration planned with the entire family and yeah. she just had to pick up Robert. And so she's like, Robert, sweetie, get in the car. And so he like gets into the car and he's like, mom, 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 please don't hate me. Please don't hate me. And she's like, why? What's, what's wrong, sweetie? And she's like, okay. So this guy is offering me a job like at a contracting business. I don't really know. But anyways, do you mind if I'm like 10 minutes late to dinner? Like I'm just gonna go talk to him real quick and then I will come back home he said he'll drop me off I he just wants to like you know talk to me like interview me I guess I don't know mom is that okay and she's like are you sure and he's like yeah 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 he knows like my boss they're friends like they're gonna do some business together anyways he just needs employees so I'm just gonna go like do you mind do you mind and so his mom was like okay Robert um yeah just don't be too late be safe okay like make sure you get home Uh don't be too late and so he gets into John Wayne Gacy's car when John drives him back to his house, where he tortures him, and he rapes him, and he murders him. Oh,
1: my God. This guy's that ballsy. Yeah. Even after the mother has seen him. Yeah.
0: And his his, par- his family, they file a police report, and they talk to the pharmacy owner, and they're like, do you know who exactly he was talking to? They said that you were friends. He's talking yeah. about a contracting business. And the pharmacy owner is like, yes, it's this person, John Wayne Gacy. You know, he owns PDM. Yeah. And the investigator who's put on this case was kind of pivotal because he also had a son who went to the same high school as Robert. So it is getting a lot more personal now. And so he does a routine check that a lot of police officers didn't do until this point, which is fucking nuts to me. And he found out that he had a battery charge in Chicago Uh and he also served in Iowa for sodomy of a 15 year old boy. Oh, wow, Robert, Is 15. So they say okay. Let's go to the house. So they immediately go to John Wayne Gacy's house. And he's like denying the whole thing. He's like what are you talking about? Like that's. What are you talking about? And they're like okay. Well can you come into the police station. And answer some questions then. And he's like yes I can. But I can't right now. They're like, why can't you right now? And he's like, because my uncle is dead. My uncle just died. I don't know how much truth there is to this, but he says something that's so strange that they even wrote down in police statements that will later become so creepy. Okay. Because the police were like, okay, I'm sorry for your loss, but um, when can you come to the police station? And he goes, you know, you guys are very rude. Don't you have any respect for the dead? Says the man with 28 bodies buried under his house. Yeah. And so the police wrote that on their statement. He comes into the police station later that night. He's like, nope, I never told him to come over. I never told him I was going to offer him a job. I mean... That's really weird. And so the police, they let him go. They can't arrest him. There's really no proof. Uh I mean, there's no proof that anything bad happened to Robert at this point. And so they're like, okay, well, I guess you can go. And the police start working on a case. And they think that Robert is alive. They're being very optimistic. They think that Robert is being held captive because they don't know that this is a serial killer at this, you know, nobody knows. Otherwise, he'd be in jail. So they issue their first search warrant. And this first search warrant, I'm just going to list the evidence that they gathered because it's a lot. They found several fake police badges. They found guns. They found syringes and needles, handcuffs, books on homosexuality and pedophilia, capsules of amyl nitrite, which is a drug, an 18-inch dildo. Just let 18 inches stick in. Or not stick in. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sink in. Valium,
1: so, yes. what are they going to do with all of that?
0: Nothing. Valium, atropine, which slows the heartbeat, several IDs belonging to several different men. Oh. Men's underwear that was obviously way too small to fit John Wayne Gacy. Once again, he is medically obese, and the, this underwear was a very, very skinny, almost teenage, like very young boys, right? Yeah. A high school ring. From the high school that Robert went to, but it wasn't Robert's because it, it was a different class. It was a different year of graduation. And also, it had initials on it and a nylon rope measuring 36 inches.
1: 36 inches? Three what does feet. that mean? Tying someone up?
0: Or choking them.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And so then they couldn't arrest him because, yet again, he has no tie to Robert. There's no reason to arrest him just because he has some weird ass shit in his house. And so they decide to get a bunch of surveillance teams on him. Uh So there's a bunch of police officers and they start surveilling him. Now, again, this is where it gets all sorts of forked up. Okay. John Uh Wayne Gacy starts befriending the surveillance team and he starts taking them out to dinners and stuff. And the surveillance team would go because they're like, maybe he's going to say some shit. And John would start to taunt them because he knew that he could not be arrested on tiny, tiny charges. And so he'd say shit like, you know, he would brag about running red lights. He would brag about these traffic violations. And one day, he even told these surveillance teams, you know I'm a clown, right? And they're like, yeah, we know. And he's Uh like, you know, clowns, they can pretty much get away with murder. What does that mean? Uh, Exactly. (laughs) And they're like, like, what? what? Like, why would you say that unless you're taunting us? Right? And so he would just continue to do this and again and again. But it was affecting him. Okay. Months into this, he was unshaven. He looked tired, anxious. He was drinking a lot of alcohol. And he ended up getting an attorney. And he says, you know what? This isn't cool. Excuse me, attorneys. I would like to sue the police department. And the attorneys are like, what? Like, what do you mean? He's like, I want to sue the shit out of them. Because they're surveilling me for no reason. And uh, it's affecting my mental health. Uh uh-huh. And so they're like, okay. So they sue the police department for him because he's paying for this service. So they sue the shit out of the police department. And while they're being, you know, held in this civil lawsuit, they do a second search warrant. Again, they find nothing but a smell. Something smelled a little bit like decaying bodies. And it wouldn't have been there the first time they searched the house because it was really cold. Now we're in the summer months and they can smell a little something. But again... No proof. And so they start trying to be a little bit more strategic with their investigations, which I don't know why they didn't do in the first place. Whatever. I'm not a police officer, but this infuriates me. And so they started, you know, interviewing a lot of their employees from PDM. Mm-hmm. And they find two employees who confess to the police that they were told to spread lime under the crawl space. Lime is something that you can buy from Home Depot. I know it's called Home Depot, okay? Um, from Lowe's, literally any home gardening that place. Quicklime. Lime? is like this thing. It's like you put it in soil or in these construction sites to prevent certain things.
1: Mm, got it.
0: And I'm sure there's a lot of like actual professional reasons for it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be sold. But one thing that it also does is that it helps slow down the decaying process of human bodies. <laughs> So, like, if you are murdering people and then, like, you have a receipt on file on your credit card of, like, buying tons of lime, like, that's, you're going to get caught. So. Okay. And so, these employees were like, well, I mean, at one point he did tell us to go into the crawl space to, like, pour some lime under there. They were like, what? They were like, yeah. Now they know. And John knows that they know. He knows that he's going to be up for soon. And so, John, he drinks and he drinks and he drives straight into his lawyer's office and he's sitting down with his two attorneys and he just starts talking. He's like, listen, I did kill some people. I really did. Yeah. Um, They're in my house. I killed them and I put them in the crawl space and then some of them I kind of threw in the river Uh huh. and he's super drunk at this point. Okay? What the heck is lawyer going to do now? Yeah, and he starts confessing for hours. This uh-huh. was just hours and hours of confessing and he's like, but you know what? They kind of deserved it because they're prostitutes and they're like, What? And yeah, they're like little hustlers. Like they, they wanted to make money and then I told them I'd give them money, but then they didn't want to do it. And so yeah. That's what happened. I mean, they're just little liars. And the lawyers were like, Well, how did you and he's like, Oh, I did something called the rope trick where I just kinda like choke them with a the rope. And they're like, Um, and he was like, Yeah, I mean, it was so weird. I mean, sometimes I would just wake up from bed and I would see like this dead kid on my floor. And I'd just be like, That's weird, but whatever. I would just bury them in the crawlspace. And they'd be like, What? And he's like, They're property, guys. Like, don't even worry about it. Like, why are you all getting emotional? Like, why do you guys look scared? These are little boys and they were my fucking properties. So I buried them in my crawlspace. Like, that's how he was acting.
1: Okay, what the hell is the lawyer going to do now?
0: And it was so crazy because he fell asleep midway into this conversation. And so the two lawyers are sitting there staring at each other like, OK, Um. what do we do? Yeah. And so they were like, yeah, OK. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to schedule a psychiatric appointment for tomorrow morning because either he's really forked in the head because he actually did this or he's forked in the head because he's saying some nonsense and there are no boys in his crawlspace, right? We just got to understand what's going on with this dude. And so immediately he wakes up in the morning and the lawyers are like, OK, John, good morning. How are you? Good. OK, so we actually booked you an appointment. Um really crucial that you do it maybe we can grab some coffee on the way um it's a psychiatric appointment and so john looks at him and he goes well i can't do that right now i've got a lot of things i gotta do i got some work i gotta make some phone calls i have like a business meeting in a minute yeah i gotta go Uh and so he just leaves the lawyer's office and they're just kind of looking at each other like what do we do
1: Did this lawyer not turn him
0: Technically, no, they mm. do not. They personally do not. I don't know where the laws. I mean,
1: exactly. Do they not get in trouble for something like this?
0: So there is attorney-client privilege. Yeah. But that's why you never really tell attorneys that you're guilty. Yeah. That's why you usually like they know because of the way you say things. Yeah. And because of your story's not really amazing. Yeah. But you never really say it out, So right? where
1: where does, does this stand as a good lawyer? Do you protect that client's...
0: Technically, as a good lawyer, you would protect the client because that's... Even
1: though this client literally is out there killing people one I mean, after one after one?
0: We would never be friends with those types of people. But I would say, I would say, I don't know how it works in the criminal law world. I mean, we've never associated with, you know... With what? Like, we've never talked to, like, a criminal lawyer, oh, you know, okay, criminal okay. defense lawyer. We've only talked to, like, very boring lawyers, <laughs> 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 you know? And so, like, criminal defense lawyers, I'm sure they have a reputation on the line. Okay. Because if they snitch a client in, they're literally, their entire client list are technically alleged criminals. Okay, all right. So, I feel like it'd be very difficult for them to turn their clients in.
1: Yeah, okay. Yes. But I understand that general. Yeah. Um, but I'm talking about this Cycle path, serial yeah. killer
0: yeah so I mean I don't know maybe they were just trying to figure out if he's batshit crazy first and so he knew his days were gone he had just confessed to his lawyers he's like I'm gonna just do my shit so he drives to his friend's house and his friend was interviewed and he said he opened the door and John Wayne Gacy was there so he was like please come in and so he comes inside and he hugs his friend tightly and he says listen I've been a bad boy (sighs) and he's like well what did you do John like why are you freaking out and he goes well, I think I've like killed thirty people. Well, I don't know, give or take a few. And the friend is like, What? And but so the he's friend like, was shook. Yeah, and he's like, anyways, I gotta go. I got some shit to do today. And he just leaves. He just leaves the friend's house after just confessing. And then he starts driving around. Again, he's still being surveillanced by the police department. And the police said in statements, in written statements, that as he's driving around he's praying to a rosary like one of those crosses thingies mm-hmm. and he's like praying while he's driving
1: this is very confusing
0: and he would go into a gas station that he goes into a lot and he knows the attendant there and he would pump his gas and he'd go to the attendant and he'd say listen they're on to me the attendant was like what I'm just working out again I'm sorry I just work here yeah. and he's like take this and he gives him a bag of weed and he's like I don't need it anymore they're on to me
1: This is very confusing. What's going on? And he
0: gets into his car and he leaves. And immediately one of the police officers goes in and is like, hello, gas attendant. What did he say to you? I'm a police officer. And he's like, "Uh, he gave me a bag of weed and told me his days were limited and I don't know what to do. (laughs) And so the police were like, thank you so much for your help. And they leave. And so... The police are thinking that this is very erratic behavior. Exactly what we're thinking. What is going on, right? So they're scared that he's going to commit suicide. Mm. And they don't want that because they want justice for the victims. So they immediately arrest John Wayne Gacy for marijuana charges. For giving the gas attendant marijuana. Which is illegal. Right. And so this, after they arrest him, they have their third search. And now they know about the crawl space. Yes. So they go into the crawl space. and they start digging they were expecting one body of robert the boy the young 15 year old boy who worked at the pharmacy that started this entire investigation they were expecting one body right they start digging they realize that the remains that they just found were too old to be robert too decayed
1: so they found one yeah and they're like okay this is not right
0: yes and then they sent in more examiners under the cross base because what? And then the police distinctly remember standing outside and one of the examiners yelled out from the cross base. I think it's full of kids. Oh, my gosh. And for the next two, three weeks, they will dig up 28 bodies. And Gacy's in jail. And he starts talking now. Okay. I mean, it's too late. Like, you, if you've got bodies under your house, I mean, I don't know how you're going to get out of that one. I just really don't.
1: Holy shit. I can't even imagine that 28 bodies under yeah. your...
0: And so many of them are so decayed. And then to try to piece them together and identify the remains, I mean, it just was a lot. And then you're talking about a cross space and the smell of decaying bodies. I'm sure that these people needed just heavy, heavy therapy. So he starts talking. And he's telling them, you know, I did do it. And he would talk about how, I can't believe you guys found the crawl space. You know, that is so dumb of me. I was actually thinking about it. I was thinking about filling that crawl space with cron- concrete so that you guys wouldn't find it. But damn it, you guys got there first. And he would say things like that. And they found 28 bodies. Some of them had plastic bags over their heads. Some of them still had ropes around their neck. Some of them had things lodged into their rectum. And some of them still had rags inside their mouth because he didn't want leakage. They're like, okay, like you're fucking done for like you're going away for a very, very, very long time. And so finally, the trial starts. And this trial is going to be just as big of a shit show as this entire case was. He starts trying to attempt the doctors, attempt to convince the doctors that he suffers from disassociative identity disorder. And the doctors are like, oh, yeah, tell me about it. And so he's like, okay, so let me tell you about it. I got lots of personalities, alters, you know. And they're like, oh, yeah, tell me about it. Because, I mean, these doctors... They, they know yeah. who they're dealing with it's not just a regular patient he's like okay so one of my altars is this workaholic and i just work and i work and i work and i work and i work and then the other one i'm like this really cool contractor yeah i'm like really cool and i'm like a contractor and i fix houses and it's super cool and then i have pogo and patches which is my clown um altar and i yeah they're cool and then i'm a politician is one of my altars And then I am also a policeman named Jack. Now, Jack, though, let me tell you about Jack. Jack is a bad one. He's bad Jack. I call him bad Jack because he hates homosexuality. But I think he does it a lot. And the doctors are like, yeah, you don't have disassociative identity disorder. Like, you sound like... You're trying to convince us, but we fucking know that you don't. So this is really embarrassing for you and for me and for everyone in this room because what are you doing? And so they're like, okay, uh, no. And so then his lawyers are like, fuck, that was our plan. That was our plan. Now our plan is gone. And so they say, hey, 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 this is what we're going to do. You're going to plead guilty. No, you're going to plead not guilty by reason of, say it with me, guys, insanity. His entire legal team was trying to convince the jury during the extent of this trial that all 33 deaths were accidental. They were just like oopsies from Uh, erotic asphyxiation, which erotic asphyxia means, you know, like BDSM, you know, like 50 shades of gray. You just like chug people and like get off on it and then it just goes too far Mm -hmm. and then they accidentally lose their breath and they die and this was all an accident wow and the prosecutor they really didn't even bring in evidence they were just like i mean that's just highly improbable i mean let's just look at the facts like all 33 times really bro 33 fucking times bro yeah and the jury took just two hours and they convicted him guilty on all 33 counts. This was by far the largest number of murders charges to one individual in US history. And he received capital punishment. And so he's on death row and he's waiting to receive his lethal injection and he really didn't have a painless death he actually did some changes to the entire system, and I'll get into it. But while he's waiting in prison, he starts really getting into painting. Now, these paintings are really going to piss people off later. So he starts painting a lot of things in prison. Later, they will get auctioned off. Some of these paintings sold for as low as $200. Some of them sold for as high as 20000 fucking dollars. I can't and, imagine. Yeah. And the bittersweet part is some people bought it because is John Wayne Gacy. He's a serial killer. Yeah, And it's, I mean, art is weird. I don't really understand the art world that much. It yeah. could be a collectible, et cetera. Yeah. And some of them were bought to be displayed at like American history exhibitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's intense. And then a lot of them were bought mm-hmm. either by families of the victims or to be donated to the families of the victims so that they could burn them. Because they didn't want his work to be everlasting. They didn't Mm. want people to enjoy his work.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: He's sitting in death row. And he's like, I'm sick of this. I'm painting my life away. And I don't like it. And so he ends up getting a bunch of law books. And he ends up fighting and fighting and appealing and appealing and appealing and appealing and appealing and appealing more and more and more. And finally, they're like, no, you're going to die. Okay? Like, you're Mm going to die. Yeah. And so May 9th of 1994, he had his last meal, which was, ironically, a bucket of KFC fried chicken, a dozen fried shrimp, French fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke.
1: He requested that.
0: Yeah. Now, where he was getting executed was a shit show outside. And it typically is with a lot of death penalties, typically with something of this much notoriety. You're going to have a lot of people who are there that are somehow affiliated with John Wayne Gacy. Somehow they know the victim or they they know John himself, right? Yeah. But you're also going to have a lot of politics. You're going to have a group of people typically with most famous executions that say... This is not okay. Capital punishment is not okay. There, there was anti capital punishment protesters who held a candlelight vigil. Oh my. And then there were just a big group of people that came. And I think that group of people is like you and me. So typically, I'm against capital punishment because I don't trust our justice system to get it right every single time. Right. Mm. But I would say that there are a lot of cases that we can just. Be a thousand percent certain, such as confessing to the crime, having 28 bodies under your house and being arrested for decades for sodomy and pedophilia. I mean, I can make like a couple exceptions to my I'm against capital punishment theory. Right. Right. And so a lot of people came out with posters that said no tears for the clown. And he ended up having some complications where the lethal injection didn't work right away that so they had to fix him. And typically with lethal injections, you have a viewing room. So mm-hmm. people watch you get, you know, yeah, die. Oh. And they close the curtains for like 10 to 15 minutes because they were having difficulties. And so there was a lot of complaints that he died a painful death because they don't really know if he died a painful death or not. Like what happened in those 10 minutes that the curtains were closed? Like, did he die a painful death or not? And oh. the theory was... Um, I don't think it matters because he died way less painfully than any one of his victims.
1: Yeah. And his
0: final words were
1: Uh-huh.
0: Kiss my ass. Were his final words. Yeah, but there were so many complaints though that Illinois ended up changing the type of lethal injection that they do just so they didn't have another issue like John Wayne Gacy, where it was just ten minutes of what the fork
1: Well, I would say that was a sign.
0: Yeah, that was a a nice little cute sign. And that is the story of the killer clown. I don't really have words. Like I said, it's just such a weird mind boggling case. It you think that once you research one serial killer and then another and then another, you kind of have this general idea of I feel like if you I feel like every serial killer is like just this big bowl of mush like you just keep adding all the wrong ingredients and eventually it's gonna have a reaction it's gonna explode something's gonna happen right mm-hmm. but this one i don't necessarily see that i don't necessarily see the same elements i see in so many other cases
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. this one's
0: just weird and even not just his childhood but even in his adulthood even in his process of you know all of these murders. He just had such a weird life compared to a lot of other serial killers.
1: Yeah, I see what you... I I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. This is some sick, sick stuff.
0: Yeah. And I think think the one thing it really calls to question is, I mean, I don't really even know how to fix stuff in the world. I don't even know how to fix me or fix a broken light bulb. But a lot of this, I feel like, could have been avoided there wasn't such a stigma around young men and just men in general coming forward with stuff like this
1: was it more than 33
0: yeah 33 is just the known cases
1: okay so there should be a lot more
0: yeah wow so i mean it just doesn't make sense it just does not make sense it doesn't make sense how he could be arrested for something like that it doesn't make sense how he could breach his parole and then they don't freaking know and then he gets arrested like two more times i mean i i'm so angry so let me know in the. And there's no comments. I was gonna say. <laughs> let me know your thoughts, though. I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. It was dark. Go check out iBleach on Reddit because you probably do need to see some videos of kittens and little doggies running around. And I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday to fill up your ear holes with some more true crime. And I'll see you guys next week.